Live to see it, friends, and welcome to World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Man, I am great and excited uh, because, hey, we are co-authors now and uh, actually published as well. So uh, that's kind of a big deal. The book is out there. We're not making a big, big splash with it just yet because we're, 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 we're going to introduce other formats. But if you go looking, if you're listening to this and you think, hey, what's going on with that book? Try searching for it. You know the title. See what happens. Just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we are officially authors, officially co-authors. Wow. I don't know, Stephen. I think the rest of the show could just be us kind of patting ourselves on the back about that. What do you think? <laughs> or, or maybe we move on. I don't know. Oh, well, okay. We can, we'll do, actually, that's good because that leaves additional shows where we can pat ourselves on the back for that later in the, uh, later in the week or maybe next week. Um, anyway, we have to because we've got so much big news to talk about. Um, what a week last week was. Our show tonight is called Back to Space, and really we should be doing a whole show on the discoveries – uh, in the TRAPPIST-1 system that NASA announced last week, one of the biggest announcements, I think, in the era of exoplanet discovery. Is that fair to say? I think it is. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, you know, in the early days of, uh, of, of exoplanet discovery, it was always, you know, these huge gas giants that uh, usually hot gas giants, right? They were so close to their star, it allowed it, they were easy to spot. And they've just gotten better and better with, you know, with finding smaller planets until they finally started finding rocky worlds a few, a few years back. But it would be, you know, super quadruple-sized Earths, right? They were still rocky. Um, but now they're, now, now they're finding uh, planets, or their techniques have advanced to the point that they can find planets not only Earth-sized, but sometimes smaller than Earth. And that's remarkable. And this particular system is interesting. It, uh, you know, uh, the Trappist One system. Uh, when you you published this on uh, on Facebook, when you posted it, Phil, I said, "Hey, this is this is uh, this is Firefly, isn't it?" <laughs> it really is. It's the it's the verse from Firefly. I mean, you know, you know, it's it's been this it's been this very interesting. Uh, okay, uh, maybe five years ago they would say, "Well, this one's kind of Earth-like." You know, it's, yeah. it's only five times as big as Earth, right? Well, this one's kind of Earth-like. It could be rocky, and it's only three times as big. And, and, and they've slowly been narrowing in on this one's really a lot like Earth, and it's only 67 light years away or something like that. So there have been these announcements, one after another. And I think that in a lot of ways, the, the early phase of exo, exoplanet exploration, looking for planets outside the solar system, has been a matter of looking for the car keys under the street light because the light's better, right? Um, yeah. We, 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 were, we, were disco- we were discovering all these huge planets and all these gas giants because that's what we had, the telescope that we could see. And now our ability to see has been improved so drastically that we're making really new discoveries and we're finding something out about, potentially about the character of solar systems 
Because, yes, with TRAPPIST-1, right. seven Earth-like planets. That's the whole solar system. It's seven Earth-like planets. It's like you could have a Firefly-like universe going on right there around that star. You know, just, just populate all of them, right? Just terraform each one of them and, 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 and put a slightly different, you know, or a very different culture on each one. You've got a really interesting, really interesting system there. It's unprecedented. We, we Go ahead. We might be assuming too much geek knowledge on the part of our audience. Uh, Firefly is obviously a, a television show that they made a single movie for, and in that particular, you know, science fiction setting, it, it, they've they've moved on from this solar system to this new system where there's multiple planets that they terraformed and right. uh, a whole bunch of planets. Well, this this particular system, seven planets that are potentially temperate. Um, in the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold, just Actually, right. se- well, seven that are Earth-like, three that are in the, uh, the Goldilocks zone. That okay. is to say, okay. in the uh, liquid water zone. Is that right? Did I get that? That is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is pretty the others cool. could still be Earth-like. They could have ice on them or, you know, steam or whatever. <laughs> and who knows? <laughs> I mean, because... Because we know we know only really what we know about what conditions are like around uh, around other systems. These these planets, in this case, this system um, is very close to its star. It's a red dwarf, and so they're all relatively speaking very close. They have short uh, orbits um, around around this star, and it's it's a very interesting system in a lot of ways. But the, the question that it raises in my mind is, okay, well now that we can spot them. Are we going to find a lot more star systems like this? Is, 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 is there good reason to believe, maybe not yet, but is there reason to speculate that there might be you know, a substantial percentage of solar systems that are mostly just rocky planets like this? What do you think? I think there's a good chance uh, that, well, you know, think about it. If, in star formation, it seems like the more we're looking out on, on on uh, the night sky, uh, we're, we're finding out. It seems that when a star forms, it has to it has to form planets. I mean, that's just right. part of the deal. What you know, in in the center, the uh, you know most of the uh, most of the material gathers together to make the star, right? But there's always leftover stuff, and that stuff coalesces to form planets. Now, the, I guess the question is, are they always going to be rocky planets in, in the mix? I, not necessarily. You might have. We might find systems that are mostly just gas giants. Um, you could, uh, you know, and and maybe uh, um, a few that are just uh, um, that are just rocky planets. But maybe maybe we uh, we find that the uh, that the systems like ours that contain both might be the rule rather than the exception. I don't know. Well, we just we just have to keep looking and uh, gather more data before we can say with any degree of certainty what what the uh, typical system is i mean it doesn't prove anything but the most likely case is that we live in a very average solar system right that's the yeah. most likely case yeah. we live in a typical one and ours has rocky planets and gas giants and yeah. we've definitely seen some out there that have both we've seen more gas giants than we have rocky planets up, up it's to just this easier point. to see right but again uh, i think that's because it's been you know it's been a lot easier to find the gas giants than it has been the rocky planets so maybe now they catch up Maybe they take the lead. What about this? Finding this many planets within the temperate zone of one solar system, what does that tell us, if anything, 
about the likelihood that we're going to find life out there somewhere? Does it increase the odds? Does it make us more optimistic? Is it just one data point and we shouldn't say anything? Or what do you think? I, I, I guess the typical scientist would, would, uh, would err on the side of caution and say it's just one data point. But, hey, you know, uh, as soon, it seems like as soon as we are capable... Well, the way I see it, it's three data points, okay, but... Anyway. There you are, uh, right there in one in one system. It's three, yeah. you know, go, uh, rocky planets in the Goldilocks zone, right? Yep. But it seems like uh, the our ability to find rocky planets is coinciding with the fact that we're finding rocky planets, right? If yeah. uh, if you know if we uh, were were to develop the capability of finding rocky planets, and it takes us thirty years to find the first one, that would that would say something, wouldn't it? But yes. the fact is, that's not the case at all. We're just as we're capable of finding them, there they are. And so I, it would tell me that they're, they're not this rare thing. That uh, we, we're going to find them around probably most stars out there. And uh, and and so yeah, it's got to you know that is that has got to increase the likelihood of finding life, if not intelligent life, you know, simple life of some sort uh, out there. So. Um, yeah, I, I I see that as as nothing but a uh, uh, you know a an increase in the chance of finding. Uh, I think life so too. In, in, out there, so yeah. So it's planets E, F, and G in the Trappist One system, and uh, I love NASA's uh, depictions of them, especially Planet F. Um, if you follow the links and go there, I mean it's just this blue planet with these swirly white clouds. Obviously, this is pure speculation on the part of the artist that drew the planet. We don't know if there's water there. We don't have any idea what kind of atmosphere, if any, probably has some kind of atmosphere. Um, but we're, we're, we're far from knowing any of that. Not as far as we used to be. Uh, apparently, uh, Europe, the European Space Agency is about to launch its big uh, space telescope aimed at doing planetary exploration that's going to make it possible to detect water on other planets. So we'll, we'll have additional information. But you look at those pictures and you go, it could look like that. It could, look, it could very well look like that. And, uh, you know, it's... It, it's give, us, give us a few years and uh, we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be examining the spectra of, uh, of these rocky worlds and, and, and be able to tell you, you know, we'll, we ought to be able to say... What, what the uh, atmosphere uh, of these worlds uh, will be like. Yeah, you know, again, we've got to get better eyes up there, right? Yep. Uh, but get, but uh, you get a better feel for the temperature of it, and you get a better feel for whether there's water on it, what the atmosphere looks like, and wow. You know, you, you still don't know. You still don't know if there's life. You still haven't seen a spaceship or anything, but you're, you're getting closer and closer. Anyway, I suggest everybody follow the link and check out these pictures. Uh, planets E, F, and G, they all look intriguing. And, and if you've ever read any science fiction at all, you can't help but make up a, you know, an interesting backstory for this system where there's three inhabited planets all in the same uh, solar system, you know, maybe there's some connection between the life on them, but not exactly. Maybe they're rivals. Maybe they, uh, you know, one colonized the other. I mean, you know, small galactic empire. There's just all kinds of possibilities when you got three planets in the uh, habitable zone. Um, it's just uh, very, very intriguing. Beautiful artwork on the part of NASA and, I don't know, stirs the imagination. To, if anything, it really emphasizes the urgency of our getting back into space. Now that we're now that we're finding planets out there, now that now, now that we're really seriously thinking about star travel 
you know, it's it's time it's time for us to start getting serious and, and getting people back into space. By the way, I saw something on space.com. I didn't publish a link to it, but it just said how long would it take to get to the Trappist One system if you took the space shuttle? Any idea, Stephen? How long it would take? <laughs> Forever. I you know, uh, how, how many light years is it away? Let's see. Uh, Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Okay. Well, uh, space space shuttle doesn't even travel. I mean, just just a tiniest fraction of the speed of light. So, right. I uh, I, I, let me just let me just guess that it would be ten thousand years. I don't know. What, what, Sadly, what, what, it would be one point five million years to get to. Uh, okay. On the space shuttle. Well, so yeah, it's a that's that is a long trip. Um, if we, we went on the new, we got to figure out a better way, right? Well, if we went on New Horizons, it would cut that time significantly down to eight hundred thousand years. So, you know, save a little time on the trip to Trappist One star system if you take the new horizon. But then they said if we if we use the new solar powered module, the the, the, the new concept we talked about a couple of weeks ago that they're that they're talking about putting in place to go to Alpha Centauri, it would take about two hundred years. Okay, so yeah. still a long time, but you know, it sounds more manageable. It's like, well, you know, you can put an inter- inter- intergenerational ship out there and yeah. 200 years later, of course, it, this would not be a manned vessel. This would be a small right. nanomaterial-based uh, solar uh, craft. But uh, mankind has, uh, has has done projects that took longer than that. I mean, cathedrals. That's right. uh, you know, uh, think think of uh, think of some of the projects that have uh, have taken you know years and years and years. And uh, hey, 200 years is doable. That's right. It took longer than that. To, you're right. There are cathedrals, building the pyramids, right? Great Wall of China. All kinds of important legacy things that we've done in our past have taken centuries to do, and this would be a pretty cool one to start. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. if we if if we if we send a solar sail powered starship star probe to Alpha Centauri, we should also definitely think about sending one to to Trappist One and all the interesting planets we discover again in the in the very near future. Meanwhile, we got to get uh, we got to get a little more space uh, savvy back here at home, and that's why I like this blog so much by Howard Bloom at Scientific American. How to get back to the moon in four years this time to stay. By golly, if that's not a headline that uh, speaks to you know the kinds of things we talk about on this show, that's what I like to hear. And yeah. one thing I like about what Bloom says is he says, well, President Trump says he wants to make a big splash, he wants to get back into the moon business, he wants to get back in the space business seriously, and what's his big plan is to orbit the moon. <laughs> seriously? Orbit the moon? Come on, we did that 50 years ago. What are we going to do now, right? What's, what's, the, what's the future call for? And I think he makes a very good point that we just need to step away from these rocket concepts that NASA is pushing, and let's use rockets that Elon Musk is developing, possibly also the ones that um, Blue Horizon is putting in place. Let's use technology that Robert Robert Bigelow has been putting in place for his uh, inflatable spacecraft, and we can be on the moon and building infrastructure, permanent infrastructure on the moon in four years. I just think, uh, you know, you you read through this and you say, yes, yes, it all makes sense. You know, Um, Elon Musk is building rockets that land Right, I mean, that's the beautiful yeah. thing about it. If you send an if you send an Elon Musk rocket someplace, it lands there. Right, you don't need to do this. Okay, wonderful, amazing technological achievement that we did with Apollo, which was you know basically three different spacecraft in order to uh, to, to to get to the moon and back. You got one rocket and it'll do the whole thing. Right, uh, you get out into space, 
You fly to the moon, you land the rocket on the moon. You have your mission, you blast back off, you fly to Earth, you land the rocket on Earth. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward model, and it's something right out of 50s science fiction, isn't it? Um, that, 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 that kind of picture. Um, I don't know, Stephen, what do you, what do you think? Is, uh, is, is Bloom on the right track here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have to have a compelling reason to go. It's too expensive just to go and plant a flag. That's been done. I mean, if if uh, uh, the, uh, if we're just going back to you know put another flag on the moon, that's uh, that would be sad, wouldn't it? Um, yes. You know, well, orbiting and not even putting a flag would be sadder. I think I, I have to agree yeah. with him on that. That would that would really be pathetic. Yeah. If we no, go, I'm, it should be a mission that starts a process on the moon. I think that that makes sense. The idea that it, we would be putting infrastructure in place, maybe even leaving somebody there, right? And it's like, okay, we'll see you in 18 months. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's scary to think about, but that's that's how you settle, right? That's how you that's how you actually start to move your civilization out into space. And you do it with a time frame like this. Kennedy said, let's go to the moon in 10 years. Well, he did that 50 years ago when we'd never done it and we had no such technology. Now we got rockets, We've been there. We've got people building new technology, and we should be able to do it a lot faster. We should be able to go to the moon right. next year if we wanted to, you know, not not four years from now. But well, um, we have kind of an example of uh, of something similar. Uh, in 1911, uh, we had explorers that reached the South Pole for the first time, mm-hmm. and there was a long period of time where you know there was just occasionally some you know somebody would reach the South Pole, another adventurer, and things like that. But it, in 1957, uh, uh, first the South Pole Station was uh, established, and we've been there pretty much ever since. Right. And uh, and we had compelling reasons to be there, scientific reasons to be there. Um, and it wasn't just a stunt. Not not to say that the heroes that did it first were just you know stuntmen or something, but it you know we we got to do it for some compelling reason. We need to have a reason to go. There's lots of lots of reasons to go to the moon uh helium three is is a uh is something that is found in abundance on the moon water and you say well we got water here on earth yes but inside of a gravity well uh that's much more difficult to get water into space uh if you, if you get water off the moon you can take it anywhere in in the solar system much cheaper than if you if you uh, take it from that's right from it, from think, the earth think of, so. the, think, think of the moon as not a gravity well but an actual well you know, for the, for yeah. exploring space, you've got your water out there. Um, good points. I, so, I like that. I like that comparison. What was the what was the time differential there between well, first so, going uh, to the South Pole? Eleven, nineteen fifty-seven. Okay, the so there? we're in ballpark, right? Forty-six years yeah. later, they they yeah. they, they, they like go that. to stay. We're it's we're due. Okay, we're due to do something permanent on the moon, and it's not that it's a stunt. When no one's done something, doing it to prove it can be done is great. But right. It's like now anybody who summits Everest, they're just doing it for their ego. I mean, good for them and congratulations and what an accomplishment. But it, but it doesn't add anything to you know human accomplishment, right? If a nation yeah. state sends a mission to the moon to plant a flag, it adds nothing to our presence in space. It's like, well, been there, done that. We've already established that humans can get to the moon. We've got to take an additional step. You know, and I'm not saying anybody should go live on Everest. That's a bad analogy. I'm just saying that, you know, you reach a point where doing something to prove you can do it is established, and, and you've got to take that next step. And, and that's where we are. That's where we are with the moon. That's where we are with space generally, I think. Right. Um, 
and I don't know. I, I, I would I would love to see because it does seem like President Trump is kind of responsive to this kind of idea. I'd love to see him reflect on this, you know, come back and say, yeah, actually, that sounds good. Let's do that. Let's go to the moon in four years. Uh, if anybody was ever going to do that, he's the one who would, right? Um, not... <laughs> let's, let's, let's put that ego to work, right? So, uh... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's have some positives come out of this. Yeah, you know, however right. you want to look That's at right. it. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I just I love the idea. And even if somebody said 10 years, 10 years would be great. If we were landing Elon Musk's rockets on the moon in 10 years and building Bigelow infrastructure, that would be outstanding. You know why? Because right now there's no plan to do that in 10 years, right? There's no plan to do it right. in four years. There's no plan to do it in 10 years. There's no plan. So uh, I, I think something with a nice short-term time frame on it like this is exactly, exactly the way we should be going. I, I think that I've, I've long thought that um, the moon and being established there is, it seems to me to be an obvious prerequisite for Mars. I mean, what's the point? If, if we can't do something you know, with a permanent base on the moon, which is, you know, that's tough, but it's so much closer. Right. Um, and it's in, it's less of a gravity well to deal with, come, you know, to get off the moon if, when it's time to leave and come home uh, than it is from, from Mars. Uh, you know, if we can't manage the moon, then I, you know, my thought is perhaps it's, uh, Mars is a step too far if if we can't manage the moon. So we we need to get good good at the moon, <laughs> and uh, and 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 you know get less rusty <laughs> with uh, with our with our moon skills, uh, and then uh, and then perhaps go to Mars. I don't Absolutely, know. I everything you I need to do, everything you need to do to settle any hostile environment in space, you'll need to try on the moon, right? And the, yeah. so the the moon is just a great. You know, it's just right there. We've been there once before. It's a great place to start that. So, yeah, just as kind of a proving ground for m making a permanent move into space, it's awesome. And then I think on top of that, there are all kinds of commercial reasons for going. You mentioned Helium-3, and I think also just having kind of a presence there that becomes sort of a launching pad for all kinds of activities that we can have around mining asteroids, settling other planets, just, just really having a real uh, civilizational presence there. Yeah, imagine if we could develop for the moon these giant 3D printers that uh, you know go and take regolith and 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 from that build moon bases, right? Right. I mean, right. Structures on the moon that can uh, then then be pressurized and uh, and and used to uh, protect uh, people from radiation and everything else. If you if you could do it on the moon, then you can take that skill and uh, and and use it. Mars, and that's to me that's a necessary step to be right. able to build infrastructure as needed with the materials at hand uh, on the moon and then on Mars. If and we, you know, let's develop it close to home and uh, then then take that to Mars. And what do you, before you know, we we are a uh, civilization with more than one planet. And uh, but we got it seems to me that we just got to got to get the skills uh, here closer to home first. Yes. It's it's just it, it makes it makes complete sense. Um, we, we we need to choose to go back to the moon. So I hope that uh, I, I I hope that Bloom's thinking here really 
kicks off some action somewhere that, that some other people listen in. If anyone's listening to us, we're completely on board with the idea. Let's go back to the moon in four years. Let's go back in two years. Let's, uh, you, you know, let's get serious about this and get a little excited about it. That's what, that's what I like about this, you know, and about both of these top two stories is that there's something to be said for capturing the moment, you know, capturing the momentum. It's like, well, hey, here we are. We're at this time where we're, we're inventing the space industry. We're discovering the universe. We're, you know, we're proving ourselves in space. It's, it's, you know, it's time for a, a, a new bold step, and this would definitely be a big bold step. Uh, well, you know, lots of money would be involved uh, to um, to get back to the moon and, and start putting in a moon base. But uh, uh, the what the quote here uh, within this article is pretty reasonable. It seems to me, ten billion dollars. Yeah. Well, basically, he says, he says we wouldn't have to spend any more than we're currently spending. We just drop those other two rocket programs, focus on, focus on the rockets that these uh, commercial space companies are providing, and we're there, right? We can do it, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, $10 billion is a lot of money, but federal government spending on going to the moon, it's nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a heck of a bargain. Um, so well, the time's right. You know, I, I, I suspect right. Apollo was a lot more money that resulted in a lot less. Um, right. Right. I mean, it was. It, it perhaps it was necessary for the time. The the, the geopolitical landscape was such that we really needed to go to the moon. But uh, they spent a lot more in in uh, in nineteen sixty nine dollars just to get there and plant a flag. Then we could we could do a lot more with less. And be building a moon base. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. And just be there. Yeah. All right. So who, who are the companies that are going to help us do that? Well, we've got a great story here from Fortune. Space startups are booming in the Mojave Desert. You know, I'm, I'm, reading, this, I'm reading this story and I think, well, this is really the bottom up story of the new space age right here. These companies wouldn't exist if there wasn't money to be made. <laughs> right. In building yeah. these components that they're building, in, in putting this infrastructure in place that there is now a market for. Uh, this, it looks to be, I would say, a huge boom business, even if we don't go back to the moon in four years, right? E even, if, even if we don't adopt an ambitious plan to get back to the moon, uh, there is so much going on in, in terms of commercialization of space. This really looks like a hot opportunity. I mean, we don't give investment advice on this show typically, but uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, if we did, I would say these would be companies to watch. I think this is this is a space to watch, not just those companies, but to see who else is showing up, who their new neighbors are, and you know who else is moving from. We, we talked a, a couple weeks ago about this this company that is getting into supersonic flight. This move away from uh, data technologies to what they're calling old tech, right? <laughs> you know, actual nuts and yeah. bolts kind of kind of technology. And there's this real interesting synergy of people kind of bouncing back and forth between the two. And of course. You know, people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are, you know, at the center of that, the people who live in both of those worlds. Um, but, but I think a little bit of that just energy and forward momentum that all of the technology companies, you know, in Silicon Valley and, and places like that that we've seen over the last few years, I think a little of that's kind of rubbing off on aerospace now. And I think, you know, you're seeing this whole new explosion of interest in not not just you know interest in space but a, a whole new 
I guess, business opportunity there, which is, uh, I think, real confirmation that something's happening. Well, it's, uh, you know, there's some frontier courage uh, associated with uh, some of these outfits, and, and particularly the Mojave Air and Spaceport in particular. I love, uh, I love their slogan, Phil. It's, we eat explosions for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You know, I mean, it's, you know we, we know that what you guys are doing is big and dangerous, and, uh, you know, from time to time we're all going to be startled. Something's going to uh, blow up, yeah. As, as something blows up, but hey, we, this is the space to do it in. <laughs> right. Let's let's, uh, let's let's figure these things out here, and uh, and you know, uh, gather the data and, uh, and and do the tests that need to be done in order to get out there. I think it's that's fantastic. It's a good attitude. Absolutely, absolutely, and and um, I, I love the idea that maybe a lot of young creative people are now not necessarily trying to come up with the next hot app game, right, to run on a smartphone, but are actually thinking about things like, you know what they talk about here, cell phone-sized satellites and things like that. I mean, real interesting, challenging problems that, that these companies are working on solving. I think it's exciting. If I were If I were the guy in The Graduate, I would change plastics to space, right? One word for you, <laughs> space, okay? Because that's, that's going to that's gonna be the hot space, if you will, going into the future. Okay, well, that's going to actually, I, I just realized we're, we're out of time. Uh, we're going to have to pick this back up on Wednesday with a brand new show. we got an amazing Wednesday lined up. Stephen, great talking with you. Great being with you all. And until next time, live to see it. 